Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work through the entire Bible, no, to study the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, over the next five years. And we're starting a new chapter today. We're launching off in Genesis chapter 41. And I believe we'll be spending probably three days, three studies, looking at this important chapter. Now, if you're just joining us for the first time today, maybe you've been looking up something about dream interpretation, or maybe you just wanted to study of Genesis chapter 41. Well, I certainly believe that this passage is going to maybe, if you're not a Christian and not approaching this from a Christian point of view, is going to set you off in a whole new direction when it comes to understanding the meaning of dreams. So welcome. Why not make the study of these ancient scriptures part of your rhythm of your daily life? Because as Christian believers for thousands of years believe they are, I touch a word from heaven itself. Also worth mentioning is if you're a newbie, is that a full transcript of each and every one of these talks is available in the episode notes of any audio version of the podcast. And we'll do that by dropping in to the main study now and picking up the main text in Genesis chapter 41. So welcome again, and I'll see you at the end where I'll just give you a little bit more information. Bye-bye for now. Okay, here we are again, friends, and we're beginning this new chapter, chapter 41, looking at the story of Joseph and Pharaoh and him being pulled out from prison and being set before Pharaoh and being called to interpret his dreams. And this is the first of what I believe, I think, will be three days spent in this chapter. And I'd like to look at these opening verses and give it the overarching thought of calling it the providence of God. Now, it's not unusual to have something happen in our lives that we think at the time is relatively unimportant, but it later turns out to be, in fact, rather important. A simple illustration of that happens all the time. Sometimes a boy meets a girl and they just happen, their paths happen to cross. Neither one of them, perhaps at the time, think much about the encounter, but over time, those same two people end up getting married. We've all heard stories like that. So it's just an ordinary event at the time, an ordinary meeting in the lives of ordinary people, but in retrospect, it turns out to have been a major important event. In a different way, the same sort of thing happened to me as a 17-year-old teenager growing up in Northern Ireland in the 1970s. In the evenings and at the weekends, I worked on a petrol forecourt in Northern Ireland which due to the troubles at the time and what was called the WAC strike, which was a unionist and paramilitary-led strike that called for the closing of all businesses. Petrol stations were allowed to stay open, but petrol rationing was in place. And I was a 17-year-old, found myself in a situation where people were queuing for miles around the block to get petrol, and there were a great many arguments and conflicts on the court. Not just about people taking more, trying to take more petrol than they were allowed to, 
and breaking the rationing rules, but also people who had queued for hours and their position being stolen or taken in the queue. And I found myself in a situation one evening chatting to a chap who appeared rather elderly to me, but a friendly chap, when an argument broke out at one of the pumps, which I, as a young man, had to take a, a sort of control of and separate these two individuals who were almost coming to blows and make sure and arrange and calm the situation down and make sure that both of the people got the petrol that they were entitled to and that things progressed without further incident. Now, interestingly, that old man in what was a very nice car, I have to admit, I didn't know who he was at the time, and it turned out he was the regional director of the UK's largest insurance company at that time, and he offered me a job on the spot. No need for an interview, and I didn't want to know my educational background. He offered me a job in a customer-facing role within the organisation that he had responsibility for. So at the time of meeting him and just chatting about his car and about the situation, it turned out to be one of the most important events of my life. Now maybe things like that have happened to you. The illustrations can be endless, but what is surprising is that the Bible teaches that God uses these situations and works exactly in this way in these types of situation in order to accomplish his will and in order to accomplish his plans and purposes for us in our lives. And that's the concept that I'm wanting to talk about tonight. That is the idea, the the thinking I want to draw out of this opening passage of Genesis 41. This sort of thing is very common in the Bible. In fact, it's so common that theologians have come up with a word for it. Now, we don't hear so much about these days, but if you were to study theology, Bibles will experts will talk about what they call the providence of God. The idea that God is working behind the scenes. It's seen as the other side of the coin of God working supernaturally in the fact that God works providentially. Now, when God works supernaturally, it's usually unexpected, it's dramatic, and it can even be miraculous. But what is often missed out, particularly in these days, I feel, is that God works, and in fact the majority of how God works in our lives, are by entirely natural means. He uses events that at the time you might think are not that important. They're just part of the everyday goings-on in your life. But the things at the time that seemed relatively minor can end up for you being major and in the fullness of time you can see God's hands in and through them. In fact, there's a whole book in the Bible written about such things and people come up to struggle to come up with an understanding of why that book is in the Bible and what its purpose is. Well, the book of Esther, the subject of the book of Esther, the whole subject of it is in fact the providence of God. It exists to show the providence of God and his moving in the everyday events in the lives of individuals and in a society and the individuals within it. But another illustration of this type of situation, I think, is in here in Genesis chapter 41. And that's what we're going to look at together, not just today, but for a couple of days. 
Now you'll probably remember that last time when we left off, we left Joseph still in jail. So we're opening up Genesis chapter 41 and Joseph at this point we know is still in jail and he's been there for some time now and the length of that time will be clarified for us in a moment. It's important, in fact it's imperative that we know that Joseph is still remaining in jail as we begin to read this chapter because in this one chapter we will see Joseph go from being a prisoner to prime minister and that transformation will happen overnight. And how that will get accomplished in this chapter will demonstrate the concept of the providence of God. And it is the whole point of this passage of Scripture, I believe. It's what, in fact, this whole chapter 41 is there for and to illustrate for us. This is an illustration of how God can use some relatively minor thing, something that maybe didn't mean a huge amount, certainly to the main protagonist involved here, Joseph, at that time, but how he will use that to accomplish some great things in the future for him. So with that in mind, we're going to now look at the text of Genesis chapter 41. And this is a fascinating story, one that illustrates the single spiritual point that God is working all the time in the everyday. And in these everyday things, if we look hard enough, we too can see the providence of God. So let's start by reading verse 1. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream and was standing by the Nile, when out of the river came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. Then he fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven ears of corn, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other ears of corn spouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin ears of corn swallowed up the seven healthy, full ears. And then Pharaoh woke up and it had been a dream. All right, so we'll just pause there for a moment, for a second, and what's going on here is relatively straightforward. It's a narrative that we can easily understand. It's self-evident, really, when we just read the passage. But the significant thing that I think is worth pointing out is it opens by saying, it came to pass, and at the end of two full years. So that's the significance of linking us back to chapter 40 when we were told Joseph was left languishing in jail and now it says uh, two full years have gone by before these things come to pass. So Joseph now has been in jail for two years, two full years. And what the passage is doing here is making a little notation for us that it is this point that Pharaoh has his dream. And in this dream, he stood by the river. Now, the river is not identified in the actual text, but no doubt we can say that this is happening in Egypt, so it's probably the Nile. And what we see in this dream, or what he sees, are seven cows. And they're described, depending on which translation you look at, as good-looking, or well or fat, actually, is the literal translation, meaning that these animals are well-nourished. Now we know from sources outside the Bible that then, as today, cows would often go into water to cool 
and would wade in the water and uh, as attempt to stay cool and to keep the flies off them. Now, in his dream, Pharaoh's cows, they actually come out of the river and they come up into the meadow and start grazing. Then in his dream, he sees seven more cows, doesn't he? And these cows are described as ugly and gaunt. And again, the Hebrew word that's used here is just trying to tell us that these cows are not well nourished. So what we have here is seven fat cows and seven thin cows. The thin cows are down by the river and the seven fat cows are over in the meadow grazing. Okay, clear enough. So far, so good. Now, what's interesting about this dream is that the thin cows eat the fat cows. Now, of course, in the first place, the first thing you'd say is cows don't eat cows, and of course they don't, they eat grass. So this is obviously an odd, unusual dream, and not surprisingly, it startled Pharaoh, and the text says in verse 4, it startled him to such an extent that it woke him up. But apparently he eventually then goes back to sleep again, and let's pick up the story in verse 5. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk, and after them other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. So he dreams a second dream, and again he awakes rather, uh, not surprisingly, rather disturbed by this dream. We can clearly see that the second dream is similar to the first dream, only this time, instead of cows, he's seeing grain, heads of grain, one lot where the yield is plump, and the other where the grain head is thin and has been battered by the, the winds. And the seven thin heads are then seen to devour the seven thick, plump grain heads. So it doesn't take us to reinvent the wheel to see that basically this is the same dream, only this time with the grain replacing the cows of the first dream. But in both cases, it's seven, and in both cases, the thin is seen to devour the fat. So Pharaoh wakes up in the morning and thinks, as I'm sure you and I would have thought, what in the world did all that mean? But being Pharaoh, he has resources to call upon. He thinks that he can solve any problem that he has, or almost any problem anyway. So let's see what he does. In verse 8 it tells us, In the morning his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. So it's saying he was troubled by the dream, not surprisingly as I said, but the word actually means more than just troubled, he was disturbed by it, it says. So he's more than just curious to find out what it meant and what's going on. He's troubled with the dream to such a point that he calls for help to try and understand its importance and to gain an interpretation. But who, who does he call for? He calls for the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men. Yet no one could interpret the dreams for him. He calls these supposed wise men of Egypt. Now these men were probably a mixture of astrologers, occultists and just plain out and out charlatans. But he gives his dream to all of them but none of them are able to interpret the dream. So now he's not just disturbed. On top of that he's becoming frustrated because no one can tell him 
what the interpretation of this, these dreams are, what they mean. And I think before we go any further in the story, it's important to point out one thing. I would like to suggest that God probably gave him this dream and that Pharaoh knew that there was at least he knew that these were important, meaningful dreams that he had been given and that he needed to know what they meant. Now, the fact that God gave him the dream, that's going to become self-evident as we progress further into the story. But what I think is interesting is that all these supposed wise men, pulling all these intellectual, supposedly intellectual resources at his disposal in around him into his court, these supposed wise men still couldn't understand it or interpret what it meant. And we shouldn't be surprised by that because the Bible teaches on many places that unbelievers don't understand God. They don't understand God's word, they don't understand God's will, and they don't understand the way God works. They just don't understand it and they can't imagine how God is working here and what is going on and what it might mean. And it's not surprising really because the Bible, as I said, it teaches that people can appear to be very wise in the world and to reach positions of great influence and authority but still can remain really stupid when it comes to the things of God. So it is at this point the chief cupbearer speaks up. Now let's pause for a second and just remind ourselves of the story of the cupbearer and the baker. Earlier in the book of Genesis, in the last chapter in fact, what we just looked at, we were told that Joseph, who had been falsely accused of trying to molest Potiphar, his employer's wife, gets thrown into jail. And whilst in jail, he meets Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker, and they're the ones who have dreams at that time. And Joseph is a fellow prisoner alongside them, and he's able to interpret those dreams. And those interpretations of those dreams turned out to be true and to, to come to pass just exactly like he said. And what he said was that the bear was going to be freed and that the baker was going to be hung. And that's what happened. The cupbearer does get out of prison. He is freed and he's restored to his place of influence, working alongside Pharaoh. But Joseph said to the cupbearer when he told him that this is what his dream meant was going to happen to him, he said to him, you know, when you get back into Pharaoh's court, remember me and tell him, tell Pharaoh my story. Tell him about how you met me, what I've done and how I'm here unjustly and how I haven't done anything. But the text also then told us, when we closed off the last chapter, it told us that the butler, yes, he got restored, and he gets back to Pharaoh's court, but when he does so, he forgets, or he chooses to forget all about Joseph. So two years have gone by, and he's probably put Joseph way to the back of his mind, and then one day Pharaoh has this dream and no one can interpret it, and he's traumatized by it, you might almost say, troubled by it, certainly. And the butler then thinks, well, he actually says, oh, dreams, oh, yeah, I, I met a guy uh, once when I was in jail two years ago, and he interpreted my dream and the dream of another inmate, and it turned out to be that what he said was exactly right. So let's just see what the text says now. So then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. 
Pharaoh was once angry with his servant, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. And now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream, and things turned out exactly as he had interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So just like I said, and if you recall the story, the butler and the baker did something wrong to originally get thrown into jail. So I suspect that the butler's initial, the cupbearer's initial reticence to speak out or even to do as Joseph has asked and refer to him before these two years are up is probably because he wasn't too eager to talk to Pharaoh and remind him about the time when Pharaoh had felt he had to throw him into prison. But anyway, in that situation, in these circumstances, with these dreams, he's reminded about it and he feels it's right to speak up now. Well, I wonder what is going to happen. Well, we shall find out next time. Okay, friends, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. As I said at the beginning, this full transcript of everything I said, plus lots of links of different ways that you can connect to me and my teaching in the episode notes of any audio version of this podcast. There's places like the Facebook page, my YouTube channel, and also my Patreon page, where if you feel you'd like to partner with this ministry and make it uh, help it remain available and free in perpetuity on the internet for anyone who would like to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of their daily lives. But anyway, that's it for today. Thank you so much for going on this journey with me. It's so encouraging for me to know that thousands of us out there have made the studying of the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, part of the pattern of their daily lives. And thank you again, especially if you're one of those people who've committed to pray for this and for me and this ministry. I really do appreciate it and I really know that I couldn't do it without you and without those prayers. But other than that, that's it for today. So thank you so much for joining me and hopefully I'll see you right back here tomorrow. Well, tomorrow it is for me, whatever it is that it happens to be for you when you access the next episode. But thank you and I'll see you right back here on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.